following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, doing a series called In the Wilderness, in keeping with this time of Lent, which commemorates Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. Um, and so this is going to be the last of that, of that series, and uh, we're looking at the third temptation. Next week, looking ahead, is Palm Sunday, and then the weekend after that, we'll be having services here Friday morning for Good Friday, 10 o'clock, and as well as on uh, what I like to call Resurrection Sunday, uh, Sunday our normal time, 10 o'clock. And then the, the week after that is the 24th, which will be my last time here, at least for now. Um, very happy to, to come back as a, as a guest speaker. I'll look forward to that. Um, and um, I'm, I'm working on a special talk for the, for the 24th. Just as a reminder of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness, uh, we've been seeing how Jesus did what Adam and Eve were not able to do. Jesus did what Israel was not able to do. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Many of those years were because of Israel's unwillingness to obey God and go and actually receive his promise. Sometimes we think we're more scared of bad things, but I wonder if sometimes we're not scared of good things, that often we're more hesitant to enter into the things that God wants for us in our lives because we actually think we will be overwhelmed, overcome by them. That's what happened to Israel. We did look at that. Adam and Eve were our first parents who were given everything but one thing. Everything but one thing. They were told, they were told to do all sorts of things. They were given all the food that they could, they could eat. Uh, they were given a mission to multiply and fill the earth and take care of of the beautiful creation that God had made, but they bought into the devil's deceit and ate the fruit of the one tree that God said not to eat from. And we have been repeating that ever since. Somehow, the things that are good for us, and there's so much of it, is not enough. And we often find ourselves sliding into areas of life that God has prohibited. And now today, in, in the society we live in, the fact that anything could be prohibited itself is, is we're being told that that's oppressive. It's, it's, it's almost as if telling our toddlers not to eat dirt, that we're oppressing them, Oh, oh dear, I just associated certain things that we think are wrong, like eating dirt. And one of the reasons why I need to focus on some of the things I'm going to be focusing on next little while is I don't think the church is equipped. I don't think I've been equipped sufficiently to stand against an ever, a, 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 the beast that's growing 
that's seeking to stop us from helping people, including children, stay away, to stay away from evil. Think about that. Think about that. People are standing in our way today using all sorts of strategies to stop us from teaching our children what is truly good and what is truly evil. And I caught myself over the past couple of years realizing I have not been sufficiently equipped. I need to return to my favorite prayer in Acts 4, which is, give me, the apostles are praying, they say, give us, give me boldness to speak your word and lay your hand to heal and do signs and wonders to glorify your holy servant, Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, the disciples there were praying for the courage to do the things that just sent Peter and, and, and John into prison. And they were praying more, Lord. They're, in a sense, they were saying, put us in a situation where the possibility of getting in trouble will increase, not decrease. And that's just, I've prayed that prayer, but did I really understand what I was praying? There's a, a type of danger that God calls us into, not because he wants us to just come into danger, but because to follow him in a world that has not yet been restored, which will one day happen when the Lord returns, for us to serve God and his interests is always going to put us in conflict with the forces of evil. And they will threaten us, and sometimes they will seek to harm us. Sometimes they will harm us. Sometimes they'll put us into prison. Remember, I've quoted in recent weeks, Jesus said, if we are not willing to pick up our crosses and follow him, we cannot be his disciple. Those are very serious words. It was a famous Lutheran uh, pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think it's Bonhoeffer. Is that right? Hoofer, is that at least closer? Who uh, ended up um, dying, being executed uh, by the Nazis shortly before the end of World War II. And he talked about what he called cheap grace. And he was so concerned about Christians in his day waving a flag, so to speak, of easy believism and were not willing to pay the, the cost that Jesus demands of his disciples. I've known the Lord now, not as much as some of you, but about 45 years. And I admit, I haven't really reckoned with that cost. And it's about time I did. And I invite all of you to take this seriously. So Jesus succeeded where Israel and Adam and Eve failed by standing against these three temptations that he faced in the wilderness for 40 days. And it's, it's worth repeating, and maybe, or it's just my imagination, but I believe that we believers have a real hard time believing that Jesus' temptations were real. 
that somehow he was a spiritual superman and the temptations of, of the devil sort of just rolled off his back. Like he had to do, he had to go through the process anyway, but it was kind of like, you know, just check off the box. Temptation one, I'm good. Temptation two, no problem. Temptation three, okay, now we can go and do the other stuff. That is such an undermining of the, his essential human nature that of part that he he emptied himself according to Philippians 2 and became just like us and just like us he withstood the temptations of the evil one and as i've been saying he didn't resist these temptations simply on our behalf so that we don't have to face them but he he succeeded in doing so in order to equip us to be able to withstand them we will fail he did not. We will fail, but because of what he did, and withstanding, in a sense, the temptation to the end, being willing to die on our behalf, there is forgiveness for when we fail. But when we fail, do we get back up again? And so let's look at the third temptation, Matthew 4, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So verse eight. Again, the temple took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I mentioned last week with the, when it says that Satan took him to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, even though Jesus was experiencing this in the wilderness, some people think that he actually physically took him there. It seems to me that it was more of a vision-like experience, as is would be with this one. If it's actually actual, did I say that? If it's, if it's, a, if he actually took him to a very high physical mountain somewhere and showed him from that vantage point all the kingdoms of the world, that's actually a proof text for flat earth theory. Now, hopefully that won't distract you for the rest of the time. But people who believe in flat earth go to a verse like this. And, and if it's actually a physical experience that he had, and he was able to see, well, maybe there weren't kingdoms on the other side of the globe, but he just saw the ones that existed on his, I don't know. It just seems to me that this is a, a vision-type experience. It doesn't make it any less real. The temptation isn't any less real. And if you don't yet believe me, most of the struggles that we face with evil and those temptations that seek to control us, where do they happen? Where do they happen? In our minds. Does that make it less real? The, the, the suggestions, the temptations might be full of lies, but the experience of struggle is real. as it was for the Lord. And there's that thinking, and there's that if, if we can't grasp that he was really tempted by this, it'd be very, it's very difficult for us to understand 
Not only his victory by withstanding it, but the victory that we can have by our withstanding it. With regard to the reality of the experience of... There's there's another filter. I should say there's another filter that prevents us from fully appreciating what's going on here. So here Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And in a moment we'll get to the verse about, again, about um, that he promises that he would give it to the Lord if, if he would worship him. And some might think, well, that's a cheap offer because Jesus' eventual inheritance has nothing to do with this world. It has to do with a heavenly world, a spiritual world, a non-material world. But that's not Bible. That's, that's a theology that's been made up. That's not what the Bible teaches. We read at the end of the book of Revelation, near the end, verse, uh, chapter 21, verses 22 to 27. John writes, I, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. It doesn't say there is no sun and moon. It says it has no need for sun and moon. But the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp, its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The nations are going to flock to Jerusalem in the new heavens and the new earth. There's still, there's a hint of national distinction still existing in the new heavens and the new earth. What that exactly is going to look like, I don't know. How it's exactly going to work, I don't know. It doesn't fully tell us. But try to find the idea in the Bible that we're all in the future going to be all mushed together into some sort of homogenized, no more distinction kind of existence somewhere up in the heavenly skies. That's You'll find that in songs, Christian songs, old and new, all the time, but it's not in the Bible. So Jesus was promised the nations. That was read for us in Psalm 2. I'll read verses 7 to 9 again. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is a prophecy. Ask of me and I'll make you the nations, your your heritage, and the ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So Satan was promising Jesus what God the Father had already promised him. Now the psalm makes it sound simply like just ask. Ask and I'll give it to you. But it does seem that Jesus' mission is more complicated than that. So Jesus was set apart as the true king who would inherit the nations of the world over which he would rule forever. And here he is at the beginning of his mission, his ministry, and Satan says to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, was he telling him the truth? The devil. Did the devil make bargains that he, can act, that he actually keeps? Well, on one hand, it doesn't matter because the temptation itself was real. Now, if it wasn't true, 
If they weren't going to be able to make that deal and it was just a, a trick, why doesn't Jesus respond to the devil by get, saying, liar, liar, pants on fire? Why would Jesus be tempted to do this if it wasn't going to happen? And you'd also think, wouldn't he simply be repelled by the devil? That's one of the things, too, when we think of these stories. We picture that traditional red-horned, pitchfork, dragon-like, the, the tail with the pointy tail at the end, right? So we picture, and if you ever see descriptions of this, this is exactly what you're going to see. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be like, all these things I will give you. <laughs> You need a breath mint, Satan. Like it would be so his to when we depict him, his evilness, is that a word? His evilness is so obvious. It's like how evil is often depicted in movies. Again, that same sort of image. <laughs> you know, with the with the with the, the the things on the face and the hair matted and, and usually hunched over. And here's our plot and our plan. <laughs> Have you ever encountered evil people? Is that, is that how they approach us? Lately, it's, this is a call from Service Canada. Your social insurance number has been compromised. And it's funny, especially the way I presented it. It's evil. It is serious, serious evil. These are thieves trying to get to your bank account and clean it out. That's evil. The, the, in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, eleven fourteen, Paul writes, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's even, that's even nicer than, than the lying salesperson. This is trickery at its highest level. Now, we don't know what's, uh, what Jesus' temptations looked like, but we need to understand they were real, just like those temptations are real to us. And they come to us with these promises that if only we would do these things, and they are luring, alluring. That's why they're temptations. Satan does not play his cards. He is very, very deceitful. And look what he's doing in the world today. And we need to be careful. It's not just them that are falling for it. We too are susceptible if we do not follow Jesus in the way that we should. And when we follow Jesus, in a sense, it makes it harder, not easier because now we are engaging a serious spiritual battle. We needn't feel afraid, but let's not fool ourselves. This is war. So what was he trying to get Jesus to do? In the English, it says, uh, if you will fall down and worship me. Well, he's he's being called upon to prostrate himself before the Lord. The symbolic gesture 
of great honor and submission, which we know could simply be a show, but it's, it's symbolic of, of, of something real. Satan was calling Jesus to honor him, to focus on him, to serve him, to put him above everything else. When we think of worship, worship time, we pray, we sing, we might read. But it's really all about the submission of our lives to whatever it is that we are worshiping. Again, just because we say the words and sing the songs doesn't mean we're actually doing it. Satan was calling for Jesus to make him the focus. And if he would do that, he would give him the ability to receive his Jesus' rightful due, the nation's, without having to pay the price of giving up his life. And even as I share it with you, and this is why I keep repeating it, maybe it's just me. It's just, it, it's so hard for me to conceive that Jesus could even, um, that this would be a temptation for him. Like, it's almost like, oh, that's silly. Lie. Again, this liar, they're just silly. You know, but somehow, it, it, was a, it was a challenge to him that he resisted. And again, he resists by quoting scripture. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This is the only resistance. It's easy to say. It's another thing to do it. We're told that then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Another indication that this time in the wilderness was very, very difficult because it's contrasted with the temptations. And now the help of God is restored to him in a very special way. And it was lacking during that time. Now, while we don't face these three temptations in the exact same way that Jesus does, we still, like Jesus, need to resolve to resist them. And it's not an exhaustive list. The first one, provision. Are we going to trust God to provide everything that we need? Will we? Inflation is, 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 is going up like it hasn't in decades Gas prices going through the roof. Are we going to trust God? The next one, when he was told to jump off the temple, safety. Are we going to go where God calls us to go, no matter how dangerous we might think it is, and trust that he will take care of us? Or are we going to fall into the trap? Do we have to prove God first? before we take the steps. And those dangers, it's something I've mentioned before, those dangers might just be picking up the phone and calling that person, finally. That little tug, call them, call them, call them. 
We may not say, think, oh, too dangerous, but often that's how we respond. Put in your, your, own, your own thing in, in there. And the third one, worship. Symbolized by the falling down before someone's feet. You could put it this way. To whom are we bent? To whom are our lives bent? Or to what? What's our go-to? What's our go-to? Is it our pleasures? Is it our vices? Is it our, the people in our lives? Often our spouses are our God. We treat them as something far more than they really are. Who are we worshiping? And remember, if we're worshiping anything but God, we actually are worshiping the devil because we're giving in to his devices. We're giving in to his demand to worship before him. And if we would do that, then we would get the comfort, the guidance, the help, the security, the safety that God wants us to have only in him. We need to be, have resolve to resist the devil and worship God. My question is, have we done that yet? We haven't. Today's the day. If we've slipped away, it's time to return. Let's pray. Father, I admit before my brothers and sisters that words that I've shared today are a challenge to me, just like it might be a challenge to some others. And I ask myself the question, who am I bowing down to? What am I bowing down to? Shine your light on my heart. Shine your light on all of our hearts that we might bow before you and you alone, that we would serve you and you alone. The evil one seems to be gobbling up so much in our day as if there's this vortex that people are falling into. Tether us to yourself, O Lord. And not only that we might stand before the vortex, but that we would be able to serve you and help others to resist as well. And that we would be everything that you'd want us to be. With whatever time we have left in this life, Lord, may we worship you with all our hearts, all our minds, and all our strength. We thank you that because of what your son has done, you give us the grace to be all that you want us to be. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.